Let's uh, join our hearts together in prayer again. Father, as we prepare to look into your word um, at change points like this in the life of our church and in the life of Ron and Melissa Plasinski, we pray that you might help us to gain your perspective, that we might understand your ways more clearly, and that we all might find our hearts being open to and surrendering to and yielding to your ways and uh, offering ourselves up, Lord, as your servants. So, Lord, uh, speak to us, we pray, in the moments that follow, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me encourage you to uh, have your Bible open and to find the book of Acts and uh, to look there in Acts chapter 13. We're actually going to start with the end of chapter 12. Um, so we'll read just a few verses there. Beginning in Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John who was also called Mark. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then they had... And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands upon them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now this morning we are celebrating, really, a great, wondrous work of God in how He accomplishes and orchestrates his own gospel mission. We've come now to this text in Acts. We've sort of uh, gotten ahead of ourselves here. We're going to take this a little bit before uh, the order of other. We're actually back in chapter uh, 8, I believe it is. But this is a strategic passage in the book of Acts for what God said he was going to do and what the church was told to do. And it's a strategic day in the life of our church. And so commissioning people to a church planting ministry is a vital element of God's orchestration in his expanding gospel ministry. And I'd like to think of this now under three different elements of the way God orchestrates this gospel expanding ministry. And the first point is this. God is the conductor of his expanding gospel ministry. Now, I want to try to see if I can play for you a song that is uh, one of my favorites. It's a song that um, uh, has come from, really, the uh, soundtrack of a movie called The Mission. It was written by Ennio, or Ennio, I guess, Morricone. Apparently, this guy has written soundtracks for so many films, he can't even remember how many films it's been. But anyway, it's called Gabriel's Oboe. And I just think it's fascinating that somebody can take and conceive of a melody and a song in their mind 
and then go through the process of putting that down on paper and giving directions and the notes of which instrument is to play at what time and what speed and all those things and to put it together and then to have the opportunity to hear someone playing that as an orchestra and then to think that somebody's going to take that and spread that to different orchestras and play it all over the world. It's a really crazy, a crazy th a thought. See if I can see this, play this for you, if you can hear it. I don't know how many of you ever heard this before. Heard that? Oh man, I get lost. It's a beautiful song. Okay, okay. Oh, I could go on and on, listen to the whole thing. When I'm studying, that's what I listen to. Um, I, I want us to take that as a, as a launching thought, that here's this guy who comes up as a composer of the song. I want us now to think about God as a composer and a conductor. That's really my first point. God is conductor. From eternity past, God has come up with his own redemptive gospel melody. For the glory of his own name and according to his own purpose, God wrote the most joy-filled, grace-transforming, sacrificially loving, joy, I mean, sin-forgiving, evil-overcoming, Christ-exalting song that the world has ever heard or will ever hear. God's passion for his gospel song is that it be played. Played to, his, to all of the people that he's created. It is music that is something that is not only for his glory, but is for our good. It is God's intent that his composition be celebrated by every community, every country, among every ethnic group, among every age group. And in order to see this carried out, he gathers his elect as the members now of a local orchestra, if you will, a local church. And they can and therefore gather together and faithfully perform gospel music ministry with the goal that more and more people will enter into the joy of knowing the compassionate cosmic composer. You see, God is the conductor of his own local church orchestras. And he has composed only one gospel symphony. And as we think about how what God was doing in the book of Acts, we realize that he was definitely at work in Luke's first gospel, which we've talked about. Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And in the gospel of Luke, Luke records for us the amazing efforts to which God went in order to provide to us this amazing song of gospel grace. It says essentially that God is the loving ruler of this world, the world that he made, and that he made us to be rulers of the world with him and under him. But however we have all rejected God as ruler, we are trying to run our life in our own way without him. And sadly, we have failed to rule ourselves very well. We have failed to rule our society very well, and we've failed to rule the world. And God's punishment for this rebellion 
as a just God is death and judgment. But because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus always lived under God's rule and reign. And yet, by his dying in our place, Jesus Christ took our punishment and he bought forgiveness for us. And then God raised Jesus from the dead. He brought him to life again as the ruler of the world. And Jesus has conquered death. He now gives life, new life, eternal life. And someday he will come to judge the world. And so we're left with two choices. We're left with the choice of our way. Do we reject God as a ruler? Do we run our own lives? And resulting, therefore, in being condemned by God and to be facing judgment and death, cut off from God? Or do we adopt God's new way, which is to submit to Jesus as ruler, to rely upon his death for us, his resurrection being raised to life, so that we might be forgiven by God and receive eternal life by faith? That is the gospel song. Do you know that song in your heart? Does it make you react with a sense of wonder and awe and amazement and you can't hear it enough? Is it the passion of your life? Or is it just a song that is in the background that's just, oh yeah, I've heard that before. It doesn't move me. The gospel song is something that's meant to transform us and to fill us with a sense of awe and amazement of God. And indeed, God was taking his own, conducting his own expanding gospel ministry in the book of Acts to say that here's the gospel been provided for by Christ. And now in Acts, we're going to see it now begun to be spread far and wide, starting in Jerusalem, moving into Judea, further and on into Samaria. And now we reach the point in chapter 13 where it's going farther and farther beyond. Here in chapter 13, notice what we read there in verse 2. God reveals his plan. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Leading up to this commissioning service in Acts 13, God has orchestrated, and we don't have time to go through all of it in detail, but there's some an amazing orchestration that God has done to bring about two guys, Barnabas and Saul, who are being now sent out. Years earlier, we know that Saul was certainly not interested in this song of redemption. He was singing his own song. And he was stopped in his tracks as he made his way to Damascus, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ, chapter 9 of, of Acts. And here is Saul, this religious fanatic. He is meticulous in how he, he lives his religious life. But he has done so on his own rules, in his own way, and therefore he is now being stopped in his tracks, brought to his knees, temporarily blinded, and he's confronted by Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul gives his testimony and says, and this is described what happened, he says, God who set me apart and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his Son in me. Paul goes on to say that soon thereafter, he was given the message that he was God's chosen instrument to bear Christ's name before the Gentiles, 
before the rulers and the kings and before the sons of Israel. In other words, he has now been brought into God's symphony. He is now commissioned to play the song of the gospel melody that God has composed. And now Paul is brought, Saul, who eventually became Paul, is now part of this wonderful orchestration that God is doing. Isn't it interesting? He brings Barnabas, who has a totally different background, brings Saul, who's amazing testimony and conversion and transformation by the gospel. He brings them together in this context because they've both been called by God. I just want to say very clearly that God calls whom he will call. Every local church is made up of, the Greek word is ekklesia, which means called out ones. Every church is made up of called out ones. People who have been called by God. And Ron and Melissa Plasinski are being commissioned today as a result of the call of God. Both grew up in vastly different areas. If I'm not mistaken, Ron was grew up in Georgia, right? Melissa, of course, was grew up right here, Long Island. Both have experienced, however, gospel transformation. Both of them were sovereignly appointed unto eternal life. Both of them responded to the gospel with faith and repentance. Both were added to God's orchestra. And both now delight in playing God's gospel melody. And what we're doing today, and I want to make this very clear, what we are doing as a church today is primarily recognizing what God has done. Our church is setting them apart, but notice what the text says there in 13.2. We're setting them apart for the work to which God has already called them. So during this commissioning service, Ron and Melissa today, we don't want to overlook some obvious facts. Number one, let me hear you, you need to hear me say, Ron and Melissa are not apostles. Okay, so we're not, we're not putting them in the same category as first century apostles who are given a special authority and special authenticating miraculous powers and the ability to write scripture. No, we're not talking about that. But they are sent ones. And what we're saying today is that the God who called them, the God who regenerated them, the God who justified them by faith, the God who equipped them is the same sanctifying God who is sending them now by His Spirit. And God is the conductor of His orchestra, this orchestra of expanding gospel ministry and melody around the world. And this one critical element of the commissioning service today is to definitely do this. It is to give God all honor and all glory and all praise for what He has done, is doing, and will do. It's not about Melissa and Ron. That's not the end all. That's just they are His servants. We're celebrating what God has done. It is God who is the conductor. So we're celebrating His work of grace in their lives, and we're setting them apart because God has made it clear that He has chosen to assign them, to use them in a church planting ministry in southern Maine for His glory. God is the composer and the conductor of His orchestra. Point number two. The local church partners with God in sending forth His ministers. The local church partners with God in sending forth His ministers. 
You know, having affirmed that God is the supreme conductor of sovereignly accomplishing and working his own purposes to expand his melody, his music of redemption, we need to also understand that God uses means. God accomplishes his sovereign will through appointed means. That is, we see both of these mentioned in verses 4 and verses 2. Look at verse 4. Barnabas and Saul sent on their way by whom? By the Holy Spirit. So God, by the Holy Spirit, is sending them away. Okay? But also we read in verse 2 that while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they, that is the church, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, or they, they released them. So God is the conductor. He, set the, he is sending them by His Holy Spirit, but we also read in Scripture here that the local church sent them away. You see that? So that's why I wrote in your notes, it's both and. It's both and. Now I want to take a moment and just think about this church in Syrian Antioch. Now, in the notes, I made a mistake. I put Pisidian Antioch. You should strike that out and write in the word Syrian. There's two different cities of Antioch that you read about in the book of Acts. They're actually both right here in chapter 13. There's this Syrian Antioch. It is about 200 miles north of Jerusalem. And that is the place where this church is located that's sending these two fellows out. And there's another city called Pisidian Antioch, which is 400 miles from Jerusalem, sort of as you go... If you go around the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where Paul and Barnabas went to. That's where they were headed to after they left Syrian Antioch. Anyway, here we go. Let's think about this church now in Syrian Antioch. It's made up of all kinds of people. It's fascinating. Look at verse 1. The diversity of people there is, is just remarkable. You have this fellow, a Pharisee, a former Pharisee, grew up in Tarsus, that's Saul. And then you have this Levite from Cyprus, Barnabas, which is 200 miles west, right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Then you have a, a guy, Simeon, who we understand likely, very likely, is a black African. And then we have also a fellow who was raised there in Herod Antipas's household. That's amazing. Yet we don't know exactly if that means he's a relative or if he just grew up. I don't know. But he was there very much in the political realm growing up in that household people who wouldn't have anything in common with each other except one thing, Jesus Christ and this melody of the gospel that they are now very much enthralled with. Now, what do we infer then from this makeup of the church in, in uh, Syria and Antioch? Because of its diverse members, I am going to suggest this. We uh, would infer that God's people in the book of Acts have been faithfully proclaiming the gospel far and wide. The church have been making known the good news. The church have been playing the melody as a symphony of the God's redemptive melody. Along with that, we would also understand that the church in Antioch had been faithfully making disciples. It was Barnabas, interestingly enough, if you read the backstory, who was instrumental in calming the nervousness, the alarm, the, the panic that set into the church there in Jerusalem when Saul was first professing his faith in Jesus, Messiah. They're like, wait a minute, this guy's not coming into our fellowship. 
He was out destroying the church a little while ago. Are you sure this guy's really sincere? So Barnabas says, listen, let's let this guy in here. I think his heart has been changed, and he's welcoming him and insisting that others welcome Saul into the church fellowship. And you, you fast forward, you realize that it is Paul who's going to have to speak into Barnabas's life, Galatians chapter 2, and he is going to confront Peter and Barnabas because both of them began to withdraw fellowship from people who were Gentiles and uh, at, due to the influence of legalists and people who were false teachers. And so he had to say, listen, guys, you're wrong here. You're not living consistent with the gospel. And here in chapter 13, verse 1, we read that the church members were faithfully worshiping, faithfully serving the Lord, earnestly seeking God together. That's the life of discipleship in the local church. They're trying to discern God's leading. And their hearts are united to the, uh, with each other through the gospel of Jesus Christ, with evangelism on their heart for the lost, and their, dis their desire to disciple their fellow members in the body of Christ. It is this church that commissioned Barnabas and Saul. As I think about our context, it's obvious, it's abundant, there's abundance of evidence that Ron and Melissa have faithfully been serving the Lord here in our fellowship for these past years. I'm not going to just want to sing your praises, but we want to acknowledge with thankfulness to God that even though their apartment was rather limited in square footage, they were nonetheless with open hearts inviting many of us into their space for a delicious meal, for edifying spiritual conversation. They have taught the scriptures in numerous contexts of Bible studies and classes for even children and adults. They have prayed faithfully for their fellow members. They have sought out and they have given counsel to many of us. They have faithfully sought to teach the scriptures to their children, to their two boys. And they have helped and served in so many different ways among us as a church, among adults, and with children. As you know, Melissa has served for years as a part-time secretary. It was Ron who was a tremendous help with his insights, his suggestions, his ideas for ministry as he served there on the elder board. Ron preached many times, handling the word with great accuracy and, and helpfulness. He's coordinated many ministry uh, times when I was out of commission last fall. as Ron who stepped up and said, okay, I'm going to take this off your plate and we'll make everything happen. They have used their gift of encouragement numerous times in my life, in the life of our church, admonishing us not to lose heart in doing good. My friends, both of you, dear ones, will be sorely missed. But I think it's fair to say that Ron and Melissa will be the first to admit that this church has had a spiritually formative impact on their lives. They've been reminded of the gospel by so many of you. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. It was through the youth ministry that Melissa began to hear the melody of the gospel. And her heart was changed and transformed when she was introduced to a saving relationship to Jesus Christ in her youth. Many of you have taught the scriptures to their young boys. Others of you have prayed faithfully for them as they've navigated these last few months through all the different hoops and steps and requirements that they had to go through in order to be approved as church planters. It is Ron's home church that presented the gospel to him down in Georgia and many other churches and institutions that have helped them. 
and our, even our own church has committed itself to supporting them financially as partners in ministry. And many of you have gone beyond that and said, as an individual, I'd like to support them with our own personal financial support on top of that. There are many other churches in the Southern Baptist denomination that are giving generously and enabling them to have some assistance in this beginning phase of this church planting endeavor. The story behind the story in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 13 in Acts is this. That the sending church, which was involved in the crucial ministry of prayer and partnership and pledging their money and doing what they can to support this couple, Barnabas and Saul, was a church that had enjoyed an abundance of diverse blessings that are shared among the, the members of that local assembly. That when people are committed to help each other follow Jesus Christ, when we are involved in the, the wonderful context of covenant fellowship, where we encourage each other and challenge each other to love and good deeds, where we try to build each other up in our faith, there are endless benefits to be enjoyed by all those members. As members of this local church, all of us play a part in God's orchestra. The contribution that we make as gospel ambassadors and disciple makers will never fully be known while we're still in this world. People do things that are never fully known. Just like some instruments that are played in orchestra, you can hardly hear them. But what they play is valuable and important. All of us are ministers of the gospel. We're not just putting Ron and Melissa up on a pedestal. We're saying all of us are ministers of the gospel. And as we celebrate the setting apart of them to the gospel ministry of church planting in Kittery, Maine, we do so as members of this body, rejoicing that every member has played an important contribution, important role in serving Christ and each other for the glory of God. Now I want to add one more further, further thought here before I go to point number three, and that is this. As I've thought about this, that church in Antioch, they sent two of their best leaders. Some of us may be struggling with the thought, well, listen, you know, these Plasinskis, they're one of our more committed, useful, younger families. Does it really make sense to send them apart, to set them apart to ministry when we face our own remaining challenges as a church? I want to remind you, as I've thought about that question, that the sending of our leadership family to plant a church elsewhere is in keeping with a kingdom mentality with hearts that say, we long for the melody of the gospel to be played where it's not currently being heard very well. We have a burden and a love for lost people. And like the members of the Antioch church, we are concerned for the greater spiritual good of the people in southernmost part of Maine and northern part of New Hampshire. And Jesus can certainly make up whatever loss of manpower as we obediently continue to do what? To pray, to proclaim the gospel, to serve Christ, and disciple people, and to make the gospel known far and wide. When you think of, an, when you think of a orchestra, different instruments can play the melody at different times. I looked on YouTube, I was going to play 
another version of this Gabriel's oboe, there's a guy, I forget his name, Yo-Yo Ma, is that his name? He's a famous celloist or something like that. He plays it, he plays Gabriel's oboe on another instrument. In other words, it's designed for an oboe, that's my point. Anyway, the point is, if someone can't play it, somebody else jumps in, they play the melody line, and it continues to be played. And that's what God does. He continues to work with whoever is available to play. And that brings me finally to my third point, real quickly here. Only as the church moves outward will God's goal of expansion be achieved. I've thought of the question, what would have happened if Paul and Barnabas had remained in that church there in Syrian Antioch? What would have been different if these two men had decided to focus their energy and their attention on the flock right there in Antioch? There were needs there. There were many concerns. There were many good things happening there. Well, that's a hypothetical question. No way to fully answer it, but I would just say this. We know full well that there would have been numerous local churches in Asia Minor and eventually in Macedonia that would have never been planted. And our Bibles would have been missing a number of Paul's epistles and letters that he wrote to those churches and their leaders. By the, God, by the grace of God, in sending them out, many lives were changed by the gospel. Look in your Bible to chapter 14 of Acts, if you would, just for a second here. I want to show you the fast forward to the return of Paul, sorry, Saul and Barnabas. He does change his name here, but Saul and Barnabas return 14 verses 26 and 27 of Acts. Many churches were begun because why? God's people moved out with the gospel. We read, they sailed to Antioch, this is Saul and Barnabas, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had accomplished. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. My point here is that God is ascending God. God was sending them out. Just like God, as ascending God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, as his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is God who sent His Son, God the Father. And then Jesus Christ, at the end of His human life, is praying earnestly in John 17, moments before He's arrested and moments before He dies. And He says to His Father, Father, as You did send Me into the world, I have sent them into the world. John 17, 18. See, the Plasinskis are not the only ones sent out by God. The fact is, every follower of Jesus Christ is sent out into the world as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he, we are sent on a mission to bring good news, to play the melody of God's orchestra, and to those who are still spiritually blind, to those who are still in need of a Savior. And in an orchestra, some people find themselves playing in what they call first chair. These are people who have, well, obviously, they've been recognized as having the greatest skill, the greatest ability to play that particular instrument. And there are some people who are highly trained among us, who are skilled players of gospel melody. 
But let me tell you something. Every member of an orchestra makes a valuable contribution, and all of us who are followers of Jesus need to keep playing the melody and be faithful and sharing Christ as he provides opportunity as they, Ron and Melissa, continue to share Christ faithfully where they are as well. We are sent by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again are amazed at how you have called us to be a part of your great gospel melody of this wonderful song of salvation that you want all the people of the world to join in in celebrating and singing. Lord, I pray that you would, even if there's someone here today who does not have a sense of love and appreciation and joy in their hearts over the wondrous melody and song of Christ, our Redeemer and Savior and Lord, we pray that even today you would help them to humble themselves, just like the Apostle Paul had to. He had to get down on his knees. He had to admit he was headed in the wrong direction that his whole world was wrapped up in his own melody. Lord, I pray that you would draw that person into a new appreciation of the wondrous melody of grace that we find in the gospel. And I pray also, Lord, for Ron and Melissa today, as they are being sent out, we pray that they might be sent out in accordance with your grace, that they might know the grace of God, they might know the grace of the gospel, upholding them daily and empowering them enabling them by faith to serve you faithfully and to trust you. And Lord, may we all do the same. May we know that we've been sent out and we're on mission and we have an opportunity to be faithful, to disciple and to evangelize people, Lord, and to continue serving you, that we might see the great melody of gospel truth be heard by more and more people so that more and more glory might come to you. Our great merciful and wondrous God and Savior. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.